Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to the Frame by Frame King Crimson podcast, the number one King Crimson podcast in the entire world. I have not checked that, but I think that is a safe assumption. I'm Ryan. Joining me always is Avery. Avery, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thank you. So we're going to do it a little different this time slightly differently if you've read the title of this we're going to combine the last two king crimson songs off this album into one episode uh, with the only reason being that there might not be enough to talk about with prelude song of the goals to warrant its own episode and some people might consider it an intro to islands anyway in how some people might consider Mood for a Day an intro to Heart of the Sunrise, for example. So, so everybody's like, hey, let's just combine these. And I was like, all right, let's do that. So we'll start with Prelude Song of the Goals first. So this coming after Ladies of the Road is very jarring, though I think it fits better with the album than Ladies of the Road does despite having no, I'm pretty sure no King Crimson members on it. It might have Mel on it, but I think that's the, to the extent. It might just be all session musicians. I, um, I actually read when I was uh, doing my notes for this, apparently it was Fripp who was conducting the orchestra, but then he wrote in like the liner notes for like the remaster he was convinced that someone was conducting behind him because he had no idea what he was doing. It wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, as far as I know, they never properly named the session musicians, or at least I was never able to find a full set of them. Yeah, like if you go to Wikipedia, the personnel for this album, it says uncredited string musicians. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually just looking at that right now. Though, I wouldn't be surprised if Mel was on there playing some flute or some wind instruments on that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's a nice little chamber orchestra piece. I'm not quite sure what the goal of this piece is, but, you know, I think it works. It's nice and it's delicate and has its own little... Um, it, it tracks a little interesting idea in there. Interestingly enough, the idea from this track comes from a piece called Sweet Number One by Giles Giles and Fripp, which I listened to that piece, and that piece is way more interesting than this track. It's this weird classical jazz thing that just is all over the place. It is very erratic and has all these different little ideas from all three of them. And just one of them happens to be sort of a motif that uh, Fripp would rewrite for Song of the Gulls in this case. I highly recommend checking it out if you haven't. It's, it's pretty interesting. But for what this is, it almost feels like the buffer between Ladies of the Road and Islands, even though it doesn't necessarily connect to either one of them. You know, like it, it very roughly connects to Islands, but... It's only if you're just trying to make it fit, almost, you know? If you want it to, you can make it work in your head. Yeah, like, it, it does have that same quiet feeling to it. Mm-hmm. 
It gives me slight Formentera Lady vibes. Yeah. But but it flows into something completely different. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's not a bad little piece. I like it. I listen to some like chamber uh, orchestras do their own renditions of it, and they're fairly nice as well. Though if you've ever listened to chamber orchestra music, um, there are definitely better pieces, pieces that have a lot more interesting themes and ideas and go much more interesting places than this. But for what it is and for, you know, a rock guy essentially creating a classical style piece, I've heard plenty worse. Yeah, I'd say as far as rock musicians doing classical music, this is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Though I couldn't help but thinking as I was listening to it, it would have been more interesting to hear the band as a four piece attempt it. Yeah. Like just like have Fripp do that kind of um, pizzicato thing on the strings and Mel kind of just be the main theme of it. But hearing some more like rhythm track stuff behind it, I think I think it would have made it fit on the album a bit stronger and I think would have helped it. You know, it's like if you ever listen to Piano Concerto Number One by Keith Emerson off the first Works album. And it's not a bad piece, but it just feels like it's so disconnected because like Greg and Carl are not on it at all, even though it's on an ELP album. And I get it was like the solo side or whatever, but I think it would have been interesting and benefited more from having all three members participating in it. So it's just kind of my feeling. I think if if they wanted like the strings and all that, but still played in in it as like a four piece, it would have been, I think it would have benefited the track and they could have done yeah. it live as well. So, but yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's not the best thing in the world, but you know, it's not bad. And after ladies of the road, it is a, is a, is a nice palate cleanser. So, yes, yeah, so absolutely. So, although I do have to mention, I, I read somewhere, I, I'm fairly certain it was Boz. Uh, criticizing this song as sounding like music for a vaginal deodorant commercial. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's what he actually said. <laughs> I mean, that might be a context thing because I know like advertisements and more kind of like conventional stuff like that used more like orchestral style music. You know, yeah, it's it's weird to think that nowadays we don't nearly associate like chamber classical music with advertisements, but they used to do that back in the day. So, mm. so who knows? I, I've never been a like a uh, like a critic of classical music. I either like it or I don't. It, it's hard for me to get into the minute details of stuff like that. I don't know. It's just it's just a different kind of world for me. Though there are types of classical music I prefer over others, but. You know, that's a whole nother conversation. So we will get into the the meat and potatoes, the big one, one I've been dying to talk about since we started this whole show. And that is, of course, the title track, Islands. So what is your take, Avery, on Islands? I think this is Boz's best vocal performance and lyrically, I think it's just beautiful. 
Like I, I was kind of trying to analyze the lyrics myself and I was thinking like when he says like my island, like does that mean like his soul? And he's like reflecting on like past love and heartbreak and maybe like the island he has in mind is Formentera, like whoever he met there. Mm-hmm. Kind of reflecting on that. It's possible. Um, well, I, I know there's that idea that no man is an island and that we're all linked together. And I think there's the idea of that in there. But but before we go any further, I just, I just want to stress this. And that is, if anybody asks, they can refer to this episode. And that is, this is my favorite King Crimson song of all of them. Not since Epitaph has Sinfield written a very, like an amazing lyric that I just love start to finish in depth. It's probably Boz's best vocal performance of his entire career. And I love how different it is and ambitious it is in the arrangement and the composition of it, because you have a little bit of guitar in there, but it's mainly led by like piano from Keith Tippett, harmonium, which I think Fripp plays mostly the pedal harmonium and Mellotron. So it's very keyboard heavy, but there is also some orchestral instruments in there with the, um, I believe that is a, I believe that's a fuglehorn that plays that uh, main theme, that like brass instrument. Um, mm. I, it's not a trumpet, I don't believe. And then you have like the, the very light drums that come in here and there, but are very tasteful, I think. Um, it's just such a gorgeous arrangement that is very uncrimson, but it works in this very beautiful and almost kind of sad way. Because yeah. if you think about it, this song is essentially the last of Sinfield and that this era of Krim is done. And it very much feels like I'm going to compare it to Starless and that both tracks are essentially the end of an era in their own way. And Islands definitely comes off as like the end of this particular period of Crimson and that you know, Sinfield and Fripp just can't hang anymore and then they got to go away. And then Fripp is going to reinvent the band in his own image, in his new idea and push it in a completely different direction that wouldn't even touch this kind of stuff ever again. And I feel the lyrics almost reflect that, that the lyrics do feel like a sad, mournful goodbye you know? Yeah. Like I'd say this is his goodbye to King Crimson. Like he probably knew this was like the last song that he was going to write for the band. Absolutely. Absolutely. It so almost... it's very like, it's very like reflective. He's probably like, as he was writing it, he was looking back on like the past, like two or three years of his life with King Crimson. What a ride they were. And it's like this, we can't keep this going anymore for obvious yeah. reasons. Because I know Sinfield left after this album, but the band still went on without him for a little bit. Because I know that 72 tour, he's not there at all. Hmm. Because they were fulfilling those dates in 72. If I remember correctly, at the end of 71, when Sinfield left, Fripp broke the band up and was working on the Lark's Tongues era. He was just starting to work on that at the end of 71, beginning of 72. But he had a bunch of American tour dates that he had to fulfill. 
and he couldn't get the new band like together in time. I don't think even, I think by that point he had Mir, Bruford and Cross maybe. Like, I think he was just starting to figure out the next. Oh, Bill didn't join until July 19th, 1972. I have that date memorized because of the meme I made about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, (laughs) because I think Mira was the first one he grabbed. So my thing, he didn't have the band formed perfectly. He was still kind of putting all the pieces together, but he had to fulfill these dates. So he kind of hastily brought the Islands band back together without Sinfield to do that 72 tour because they all expected it was going to be the end of it anyway. But as the tour kept going, um, Fripp plays less and less or like retreats from it, as he I think he stated, because he wasn't really fully invested in this era of Crimson anymore, but he was just doing it because he needed to do it for business. But the rest of the band were really enjoying themselves and at the end of it even considered staying and like just trying again. But at that point, Fripp was set in his ways and didn't want to keep going. Hmm. Um, Though I heard there was, it was possible that Fripp was considering keeping Mel for Lark's Tongues and just having the five, but adding Mel. That would have been interesting. Yeah, I think he considered it, but then I think the only reason he didn't keep Mel was because he was going in a new direction and needed like a new sound essentially. Yeah. And that actually reminds me um, when I saw King Crimson live in 2017, they opened with Lark's tongues and Mel took over like David Cross's parts. Mm -hmm. It it was incredible. Yeah. So I I think Mel was in the cards, but I think when Fripp heard David Cross or learned about David Cross, I think he wanted to stick with him instead. And David Cross could also play flute. So Though he rarely did on the albums, but anyway. Did he play any flute on those albums? There's a little bit on Exiles. Oh, oh there yeah. There is a little bit. It, it you have to you have to pay attention, but it's there. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. En- enough of that. I need to gush more <laughs> about my favorite King Crimson song. Like Keith Tippett's piano playing on this is some of my favorite he's ever done. It's so elegant and it but it still has his characteristic of like all these random kind of keyboard phrasings, but they're done very, very tastefully. It's tasteful Keith Tippett. So it's still weird and eccentric, but it it, it fits nicely, I think. Um, as far as I know, there's no bass guitar on this track at all. Like Boz just sings on it, but he really leaves his impression vocally, I think. And yeah, lyrically, I almost got the sense that this is... Um, the imagery is almost that like somebody's going to start sailing essentially that they're saying goodbye to everybody and then getting on a boat and then just sailing off into the unending sea in a sense, you know? So, and then it also gives me that vibe of like floating off into space as well with the album cover of the constellation. So it's like, they're just going off into space almost, but it's, it's definitely a, an epitaph in a sense for this particular era of crimson but it's it's mm-hmm. such a it's such a gorgeous song i love it, it really is i love it so much um it's one of those songs i wish more crimson singers did because i would like to have heard their interpretations like i would love to hear greg on this track wetton would have been interesting baloo and i know jack has done it but i'll talk about that in a second so mm-hmm. but yeah it's such a odd 
song for Krim in terms of the instrumentation and the arrangement that it was very difficult to perform live. But they did perform it live a couple times in 71. Yeah, I listened to one live version that that I have, which is the only one, Brighton. Mm-hmm. It's and the only recorded one. It was one, interesting because like, this song doesn't really work live. And I think they recognize that. Mm-hmm. It's like replacing that that quiet piano with Fripp's electric guitar and like the drums coming in in like the last two minutes. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's just weird. It doesn't really work. I, I respect them trying it because it, it, yeah. it was definitely a, an ambitious thing to do. Um, and props to Fripp for being able to trans to take like a mainly piano song and play it on guitar, which is not yeah, that's impressive. all to do. And yeah, it's a fine rendition of it, but I think it's just because they had so few members, they couldn't really make it work, you know, and not having that brass instrument at the very end, you know, playing that lovely melody as it just kind of sails off into the end makes it a little harder, I think, to really be what it could be because they have Mel essentially sticking on Mellotron for most of the track. So, oh, it was Mark Cherig who's playing the cornet. That's right. Oh, he was playing a cornet, which is a type of trumpet, but it's not the same thing. But yeah, it's done very well. And, and um, but yeah, also there is like orchestral strings on islands as well near the end. But I think that's more in the the hidden track of it. That if I remember correctly, the late 80s CD version of it takes off that last like bit of silence and then that little studio chatter at the end. And it just ends Mm. the song when it properly ends with that long harmonium chord and then them taking the keys off and then they just get up and walk away, which I always like hearing Mm. that kind of stuff. You know, just that kind of like you actually hear somebody's like footsteps and things. So it kind of like humanizes the music in a way. But um, yeah, I'm referring to that little bit of studio chatter where they were, um, I think it was for Prelude Song of the Goals where Fripp's just saying, we're going to do it once more with the oboe, once without it, and then we'll be finished with you. And and I think, and then I believe that's Mel just kind of twiddling on the flute, but then they do the standard, like, tuning up in, I believe, A. They always tune up in A. Hmm. So that little bit, which I always found charming. So Yeah, I just like hearing Fripp speak. I, I just love his accent. <laughs> yeah, and, and he sounds, in, in this track, he sounds a lot more delicate than he would get later. I think he still was a little pure in 71 that by like 70 yeah. by 74, he wasn't pure anymore, but there was still, nope. a little in him, you know, <laughs> it's, it's when he, it's when he sh- cut the Afro off that his innocence was finally taken from him. <laughs> you see all that Lark's tongues footage or, you know, when they're touring and he's got the shorter hair and like the black shirt and he's just stare either staring at his guitar and not looking up once or that one TV performance where he's just staring at the camera the whole time and playing perfectly. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. That yeah, when he when he cut his hair and grew the beard is when he lost his innocence properly. So Yeah. Well he ha- he grew the beard first and then he cut his hair because mm-hmm. there's late 72 Fripp, the long hair and the beard, mm-hmm. A plus. And and all those necklaces. God, yeah, and those fucking boots. He he, he was he was he was predating Mr. T. He was showing <laughs> Mr. T how to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I think Fripp is playing that harmonium and a little bit of the Mellotron on this track as well. 
And it was a really good choice to keep this kind of keyboard oriented. There's barely any guitar. There is like, there's one little bit of guitar where it's essentially just like two little notes or whatever. Yeah. Um, that just like kind of comes in out of nowhere, but I always pick it out. Yeah. That's in like the middle kind of, right? Yeah. 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 It's, I believe after the first chorus. Um, but then he just like does that harmonium, which I believe is one of those harmoniums where to make it work, there's like two pedals that you have to keep pushing like this, just alternating with your feet as you're playing, which makes it, oh. which has that kind of like mechanical kind of sound to it. But harmoniums just have a very unique sound because usually you have to keep pumping air in and out of it to get that mm. kind of style out of it. And then mixing that with the big orchestral string Mellotron. And there's even a little bit of drums in the first instrumental chorus section. Very, very lightly. You can hear that. I think they wanted Ian a little bit for that, but they didn't like it. So they turned him down as far down <laughs> as they could go. But if you're, if you're listening closely, you can hear him just a teeny little bit, just kind of hanging in the background. The glories of studio recording in the 70s. You can pick out all these little <laughs> things. And what I've noticed from listening to the track of Islands, it has all these weird fidelity things, like weird little crackles and like hiss and like these very faint instruments that you're not supposed to hear at all, but you still hear. And it has this very kind of almost haphazard recording style to it. But I think that just adds to the charm and the beauty of this track, I think. Um and it's just it's just done very well. I agree. So and yeah, so while Islands the Islands era did it just a few times, it has been revived by the Jacko era. And did they play this one when you saw them? Um I I don't remember. Uh I could look it up real quick. Okay. Because I listened to a couple versions of the Jacko era doing Islands and and I don't know if it's the song or them, but of what I've heard of the Jacko era, like renditions, this is the best one. Like this mm. one's really good. Like overall, like it's probably Jacko's best vocal in Krim. The song suits him, his vocal style perfectly. Yeah. And, and he, I, um, and I looked it up. They, they did play this song when I saw them live and nice. I think I vaguely remember it. Because mm -hmm. and then following that was indiscipline. No, which is my I, only complaint about. I don't want to. I don't want to talk about that one. I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, like of all the Crimson tracks, I think this is Jacko's best vocally. Like it sounds really good. He knows how to make the song work. In fact, on the Islands box set, there's a version of him singing over the original studio track, which it sounds fine. I'd rather hear Boss sing it, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, but live, like it's very strong. Um, they slightly rearranged it, but in a but they just kind of modernize it. Nothing too crazy, just some slight different like keyboard sounds. And the three drummers kind of, they come in a little bit later near the end and just play some more kind of standard stuff. Mel really gets to go out there with his uh, horn stuff, which is fantastic. 
like it's it's a very beautiful modern take on the track and from what i've heard of modern crim it is the best thing they do it just everything works and i don't have anything to complain about but is it just because the song itself is that good or they were just able to make this song the best you know could be both could be because their version of sailor's tale is pretty good also it's not my favorite but it's not bad and their version of the letters the fact that Frick can still play that he can still play the sailor's tale after all these years that's Mm -hmm. that's kind of impressive oh yeah and then and then (laughs) yeah the version of the letters is really good as well yeah Um, oh my god yeah the only (laughs) thing they this band i don't think they've done formentera i don't think so which shocks yeah i i don't think they have which shocks me because i think they would be perfect for that like you could have mastelato go crazy with the percussion at the end to kind of match the crazy percussion in formentera you know and you know and and you have jacka who likes to you know add extra vocal stuff so he could be suited for that you know Maybe he doesn't want to go falsetto, but, you know, go for it. You know, try to th- those high notes. And then they haven't done Ladies of the Road, which I think is obviously why. There's an obvious reason. Yeah. And Prelude Song of the Goal is probably the same thing. Because it's like this band almost seems suited perfectly for the island's material. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, I think Jacko's voice is more similar to Boz's than any other prior King Crimson vocalist. Yeah, I would agree. Though I think Boz has more character. Just yeah. Because it comes from a bluesier background. So it has more of that kind of rough edge to it. So when they do the kind of harder stuff, it has a little character compared to Jacko, where it just sounds like he's trying too hard. Yeah. So there's that. But on the more delicate stuff, I think, is where Jacko shines the best. So on Islands, he's pretty good. But we'll talk about when he get does the wet and stuff, because that's kind of its own little thing um, <laughs> i mean it's hard it it i will say though it's hard to sound like john wetton it is hard to do i think it's impossible like I, he has I one of those voices that's just i mean his voice got more normal as he kept singing yeah uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as when we get there next week but um but yeah overall i love the song it's like one of my favorite tunes of all time it's one of those like play this track at my funeral kind of songs it just has that tone to it but yeah it's just such a gorgeous piece of music that it'll it'll forever sit with me personally so but overall i think the island's record as i said is my favorite king crimson record just because of how varied and weird it is in its own way and it houses some of my favorite king crimson pieces i could listen to this whole album and enjoy it for what it is i know not every piece is perfect but i still i still think this album has a lot of character to it and went underappreciated for a very very long time not until really when jacko era came out that i think it allowed the islands album to get the proper reappraisal that it deserved especially with them performing that material because islands always came off as an era that people were just kind of like, yeah, whatever on it, you know, that like, it was, it was a thing, but you know, who cares? Right. It wasn't as successful as 69 or wet in era. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. It was just totally overshadowed by both. Exactly. And then in the 40th anniversary of islands in Fripp's little essay, he talks about 
pretty much how he didn't appreciate it at the time. But years later, I think when he was starting to do the Collectors Club for Islands, he really started to appreciate how great that band was and how underrated it was for such a long time. And thank God for the Collectors Club because it allowed all eras of Crimson to finally shine as how good they were, I think. And this was, even though weirdly enough, this is one of the lineups that had a live album before the Collectors Club with Earthbound, which we touched upon a little bit, but I think we should discuss it here. So what what, what was your take on Earthbound? I haven't listened to it in so long. It's just like, I have, I have bootlegs that are better quality. Like the show itself is fine. Like they, their performance is fine, but the quality. It is definitely one of the the most polarizing releases that they have. Um, And I'm showing my mini LP 30th anniversary edition of it with the gatefold of the members and their, and literally the gatefold is just pictures of them. And then their tour dates. So it's weird to think, I don't know if this came out during the tour or after the tour, but nevertheless. Uh, For those who don't know, Earthbound was the first official King Crimson Live record released in 1972 and has a very short track listing of 21st Century Schizoid Man, Peoria, The Sailor's Tale, Earthbound, and Groon on it. Uh, Most of it was recorded during that early 72 tour we mentioned, uh, scattered between dates at uh, Wilmington, Delaware, Peoria, Illinois, Jacksonville, Florida, and Orlando, Florida. But most of it was recorded on a cassette tape in the rain from the back of a Volkswagen truck. And that's what this says. Yeah. How how did this even happen? Like, yes, this... This tape recording that was made while it was fucking raining. Like, yes, we are going to put this on an album to be commercially released. Even though we have, like, soundboard recordings of other shows. Well, I think, I think, the, I think the story with this is, I believe, that EG wanted a live record. And so they just kind of hastily threw this together and released it hmm. in the UK. But... If I recall correctly, it it wasn't ever released in America because they gave it to Atlantic to be like, hey, guys, do you want to release this? And they listened to it and they're like, no, this sounds like absolute garbage. Why would we want to release this? And it was an import for the longest time. I think until it got released on CD over here, it was officially Hmm. released in the States. It is a very polarizing release. I, I will give it that. It is not the easiest king crimson album to like but personally i've always had an appreciation for it just because i think it sounds so what it is but i as i said like way back on the schizoid man episode that this earthbound version is my favorite version of schizoid man i think everything just perfectly comes together in this conglomerate of a really good performance with I think just the right kind of like distorted, awful recording that emphasizes Schizoid Man for what it is. You know what I mean? And then the Peoria uh, jam, it, it, it's that thing that like Fripp never really said the Islands band improvised, they jammed. At least that's, what, that's how he's said it, which I think isn't true. They did improvise properly if, if you want to go that way. Because um, Ian Wallace would say, no, we did improvisations, but... 
it's like when you compare these to what say like the wet nera did it's like calling yeah. improvisations it's like it's almost like it's devaluing what the wet nera did but the islands band could do their own shit they had their own way of doing it because like the 69 band improvised as well and i think these are better than the 69 improvisations in my opinion yeah and like improv is just like that's like integral to king crimson especially in the 70s mm-hmm. like, oh yeah it, it became more important at the time but it was yeah more, it was more important in other eras than others but peoria is like an example of that but it's them just kind of doing this funky kind of jam which sounds very uncrimson, but goddamn, if that groove isn't really good, like it's it's solid. yeah, it's very and, and Boz scat and all that. Like I like it for what it is. I kind of appreciate it. Like it's not necessarily. What- I legitimately haven't listened to that in so long, you but shouldn't. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because yeah. it's not, it's not very crimson, and I could see crimson fans kind of like schlacking this off as like, uh, this is this this isn't for me. But I don't know. I, I vibe to it. There's something there. And yeah, it, it, it's not bad. I, I quite enjoy Peoria. Every once in a while, I'll put it on. The version of Sailor's Tale on here is fantastic, but it's only just like a little middle section of it. And I believe it's from the, which show is Sailor's Tale from? Yeah, the Jacksonville show, which the Jacksonville show did get released as Collector's Club 2. So you do get. Oh, full, yeah. So there is the full version of it. And it is I didn't go into it on Sailor's Tale. I don't know why, but Jacksonville, holy shit, that version of Sailor's Tale yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Probably the best version. Like, it's a great. It is yeah. on fire. Um, and it sucks that this, you only get a little bit of it. And then there's like an Earthbound, uh, the Earthbound, which um, is not the name of the second game in the Mother series on the Super Nintendo. That's one of the best RPGs. <laughs> no, it is. Um, this kind of improvisation that they do. This is closer to an improvisation, I think, than Peoria. It was done at Orlando. And I'm not, it's probably my one of my least favorite tracks. It's okay. I'm not the biggest on it. It's not that memorable. And then it ends with a 15-minute version of Groon that I just know, no, we've we've done this before. I'm not listening to Groon ever again. I'm done. <laughs> Groon is not. <laughs> for me and yeah like i get people not liking earthbound but i've always had a slight appreciation for particularly the first half you know there's something there but it is weird they didn't like make it a double album you know just like do more yeah oh you know throw on formentera lady throw on pictures of a city and circus because like they don't even necessarily have the best songs that this era did you know, no picture of a city, no um, circus, you know, a condensed sailor's tale, nor Formentera, um, not even like Get Thy Bearings, which I think they're version of Get Thy Yeah, Bearings. like they really, they they really gave like zero shits about the creation of this album. Yeah, I think they just threw it. Was it was just like, yeah, like I think they just gave like their like manager or whoever like the responsibility to get it done. Just like put whatever the fuck on the album. We don't care. Like this works. Get out the door. And it's and yeah. it, it just it just made me mad because it's like this band deserves so much better. But thankfully they did because I I honestly think Earthbound is part of why they had such a not good reputation amongst Crimson fans for a long time. 
because all we had was islands and earthbound unless you like circulated bootlegs all the time you wouldn't really know but in i think it was like 97 i want to say 97 or 98 when collectors club 2 which i believe the first collectors club was marquee 69 and then the second one was jacksonville 72 that's when the islands band was fully redeemed in my opinion because that live show is fantastic. It's not the best recorded. Obviously, the 72 shows were all kind of dealing with like cassette tapes and all that stuff. But, you know, Pictures of a City, Circus, Ladies of the Road, Foreman Terra, Sailor's Tale, Schizoid Man. Like, it's 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 beautiful. Yeah, the great. great show. Um, and on Spotify, there's the sort of compilation live, uh, Ladies of the Road which really enough doesn't have that song on the album at all, but has versions of Pictures of a City, The Letters, uh, an abridged version of Foreman Terror Lady, Sailor's Tale, Circus, Groon, a six-minute version of Groon, so I can deal with it, Get Thy Bearings, uh, Schizoid Man, and then a little bit of the In the Court bluesy thing, just a little bit of it. And then the, <laughs> second, and then the second disc is this, I don't even know how to describe it. It's essentially trying to take 21st century schizoid man and turn it into like this disc long improvisation where they just poorly edit all these other like solos from other versions and just kind of <laughs> mash it together in this huge conglomerate. Oh dear. And it is a very rough listen because the edits aren't very good. The <laughs> recording quality is all over the place. And it's like, I'd rather just, and I've listened to most of the schizoid man like solos like the full versions you know when they just played it legit and those are fantastic like all the islands are schizoid mans are great and it's like i'd rather just listen to those by themselves rather than poorly fitting it together yeah that um, sounds horrifying to yeah, listen to it's too much it's too much schizoid man in one go way too much so i don't know whose idea that was but it just no didn't work for me work for me so but yeah i think other than a couple more really good collectors clubs that's essentially the islands era kind of in a nutshell i figure i'd wrap it up before we tackle the next era so yeah what is your overall opinion on the islands record and the band and all that good stuff i think it's it's really good like i'd say at least right now, my favorite King Crimson lineup is probably the Wetton Era. So I'm really, really excited to talk about that. But I I love Boz's voice. Like, it's just that kind of vocal style that I, I'm just drawn towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has that like, kind of... Like, I think that's, like, just like that soft, gentle feeling to it. But it also has, like, a working man quality as well. Yeah. So it, it, it comes off a little bit more human than some like nice delicate singers who usually just kind of sound like above everybody in the clouds, you know, that he just kind of has this, it's soft and delicate, but it's grounded. Yeah. You know, which is ironic considering most of the lyrics he has to sing, but it all kind of makes sense, you know? Yeah. And I think he just did an amazing job, like interpreting Peterson Field's softer lyrics, mm-hmm. like Foreman Terra Lady and Islands. Like he just does a fantastic job on those songs and, and, and the letters too. Like he does great with that. Oh, yeah. It's a shame he wasn't able to 
fully appreciate how good he was in this band because I believe this is the one Crimson lineup that has the most like passed away members because Ian Ian Wallace and Boz I believe both passed in like 07 like late 2000 I yeah it was like one of them I think passed away in like 06 and then the other passed away in 07 mm-hmm. something like that yeah, where it's like in 69, uh, Sinfield, Giles, and McDonald are still kicking. Obviously, Greg's gone. Um, yeah. In the, in the Wetton era, you know, Wetton has passed away, but that's about it. Oh, except for Bill Riflin. That's essentially all the King Crimson members who have passed away. So. Uh, Gordon Haskell. Oh, yeah. I, I forgot about Haskell. I can't believe I was the one who, re- who remembered Gordon. <laughs> Sorry, my brain's slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's Gordon as well. So, so yeah, it, that that that's how you know they've been around for a long time, and they're starting to have band members just start dropping. Yeah. So, it's life. That's the way life goes. And speaking of death, this is the death of one era, but the beginning of a new era. So next week, we're tackling a much more popular era of King Crimson, one that I think people are excited for us to get into and that is the lark's tongues and aspect album and so we're going to talk about that and go into details on how lark's tongues came to be and we will of course talk about lark's tongues and aspect part one of five so until then we will see you next time bye-bye bye everyone